0: really glad you're here this morning welcome Christmas is happening <laughs> ready or not um, it's in full swing uh, at stores here at church around our cities uh, kids I love being around kids at Christmas time because they're they're anticipating they're you know, when you're old enough to realize what a toy bonanza it is, then you you really start, you know, looking forward to it. One of my grandkids woke up a few days ago and told his parents, 19 days until Christmas. And and this isn't the numbers guy, okay? This, this is... <laughs> um, I, I, I remember those days when I would lock my sights like radar on the major gift I was hoping to get, And it was just constant, rolling through my brain. Hard to concentrate at school. Uh, After we grow up, our hopes shift from toys and games to gifts of more substance. Uh, What are you hoping to experience this Christmas? What is it that you'd like to receive? You might just be hoping for some rest or stability or peace of mind. Maybe your world has been rocked and you just want to settle into the new normal. And it seems like as life goes by, we keep having new normals. <laughs> the the norm is to keep adjusting to new normals. <laughs> That's the way it is. The way the world is, we're always dealing with some kind of trouble. And most of us are looking for solutions... To problems on any given day, we're looking for the answers. Most most people have a trusted source they go to for truth and answers. I, I recently read an article by James Emery White titled The Googled Mind. And it pointed out that Google handles 90% of all internet searches. Surveys show uh, that. This is interesting to me. May or may not surprise you. Surveys show that people consider their search engines the most trusted source of information over traditional media or social media. Now, I, I go to Google. I get this. I go go to Google uh, for solutions for projects around the house. I'm not a plumber, but you know you can Google it. There's a little video that comes up. You can watch the video and decide whether or not you're going to give it a shot, <laughs> if you're me, um, uh, you know, how much am I willing to pay to get this done, or, or, you know, you're watching a movie or a TV show, and you're like, who is that actor, you know, you're, you're Googling it, you're checking it out, I'm trying to find the name of the actor, uh, it's interesting, some of the answers you get on Google, and now they have the box on the top that highlights the key answer, um, to the question, does money buy happiness, Google recently highlighted a result that stated, there's enough scientific research to prove it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, what we don't often always realize, though, is that search engines can be drawing from sources we wouldn't normally go to for the major questions of life, and this isn't a major question, but it's an example. Uh, why are Komodo dragons endangered? Now, you may have never asked that question. Um, but the highlighted answer in the box at the top is from a sixth grader's report. Interesting, isn't it? In the article, White cautions the readers to trace the source of the answers we find on the internet. And decide how valid they are. <laughs> good caution. Very, very good. On Sundays here, we, we base what we say on the Bible. Its validity is rooted in history. We're going to look at that and how to, how to verify it. It means that you can verify it, that it's rooted in history. Uh, it won't surprise you for me to say that I've found the Bible to be completely reliable. You, you can trust it. Uh, not only its its historical integrity but as you base your life on it life life gets better and better as you move forward so if you're investigating Christianity the bible is a place to start this this is where you start now christmas is a unique holiday isn't it we've just sung a couple of christmas songs i i can't think of there are easter songs but we don't go on a, around in our in our world singing Easter songs. We sing Christmas songs. They show up all over the place. They warm and stir our hearts and they're full of truth claims. Uh, the truths that I teach on Sunday mornings from the scripture are all over the movies we watch. They're, the good news of Jesus is playing in the mall. It's on commercials. Christmas carols are are all over the place. And so. We're going to look at the heart of what they say today in this video. Uh, here are some snippets of some of the songs that we sing. See if you can recognize some of the voices singing. Okay, this is a little test. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Fears of all, years are met in thee all right, you may or may not have recognized some of those voices. Uh, it's, they're kind of old school. Um, that was the temptation singing silent night. It was Nat King Cole singing "Hark! The Herald Angels Sing," and sing and Elvis "O Little Town of Bethlehem." Um, one of my favorites is Ray Charles, "That Spirit of Christmas." It's not really a carol; it doesn't have truth, but it talks about the impact of Christmas. That spirit of Christmas, oh boy! <laughs> Why can't it remain? <laughs> All through the... (laughs) That's horrible, isn't it? Um, The song's great. Me, as a singer, not that great. I don't know why I do that. I get out of control sometimes. These songs, what what these songs do though, and, and you saw the words, packed with truth claims. Packed with, with scripture. The, the songs are pulled right out of the Bible and they're woven into the fabric of this season. It's a part of what we we celebrate. So far, they're still a part of our culture here in the U.S. And we dust them off every year at this time. And we we sing them, we listen to them, we hear them all around. Our hope... Whatever we're hoping in, and, and, and Elvis saying the, the, the last part of a little town of Bethlehem, our hopes and fears are met in thee tonight. That's the claim. And for me, that's, I found that to be true. All our hopes are met in, in Jesus Christ. But our hope has to be centered in reality to sustain us, to really help us. It needs to be truth-centered. So we need to verify the source of any claim, whether it's on Google or not. And thankfully, the carols and hymns we sing at this time, they're rooted in Scripture. And we, we can verify them. But the depths of our roots will determine the depth of our hope as we face life's different situations, as we meet the challenges of life. The good news is God's given us a way to verify the truth, and we're going to get to this toward the end of the message at the very end. But our hope is rooted in the life of a person, a historical figure, and we can examine his life and decide to trust or not. What you find in the Bible is Jesus blends grace and justice perfectly. There's an incident in Jesus' life that highlights this truth. He attended worship at a synagogue with a man who had a withered hand. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an injured hand, but that, that's kind of a... It's a its a real... It's a bother. Just to to have... You should not be able to use one of your hands. It's, it's really difficult. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus overheard this discussion that was going on in the synagogue... The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they they were self-righteous. They were hypocritical. Uh, They were having this discussion over whether or not it would be wrong to heal a man on the Sabbath. You know, this kind of thing they argued about. Well, we we don't want to help people. What what they used this for, they used the law, their understanding of God's laws, to protect themselves, so that they could, they they wouldn't have to sacrifice their time and energy on things they weren't really wanting to do that on. And as they're having this discussion, Jesus basically says, "Oh, come on! This is what he said. I mean, I, I don't think he said it that way, but he, he and don't quote me as Jesus having said it that way, but but he's saying really." You're going to legislate when a person can do good? And so he heals the man. And this this angered the self-righteous Pharisees, and they began to conspire to destroy him. What happens next is Jesus is aware of the conspiracy. He withdrew from the area, and he commanded his disciples, his closest followers, not to, to make him known, not to let people know where he was, or really to, to broadcast broadly who he was. And at this point in his ministry, a whole bunch of people began to follow him. The following passage from Isaiah, now I'm going to quote Isaiah, but it's used right after this incident, and it's tied to this, It's quoted in Matthew 12, 18 through 21. And this this is what you see in Scripture. These first four verses of Isaiah 42 are quoted and applied to Jesus. This is God's description in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, the coming Messiah, who, who has been identified as Jesus by those who follow him. Behold, My servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is the situation with the Pharisees. The situation that the people Isaiah was writing to. They needed justice. So he's saying, this this is going to be just. Just to be just is doing what's right before the people around you. So he says, this servant... Will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. He told the disciples to be quiet, not to broadcast. They will not, or or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands. It's like they're referring to countries way off like other continents. So that, that's, the, that's the picture there with coastlands. Um, here, here's another place in the Bible where God begins to paint a picture of a very bright future for those who decide to follow Christ. Last week, I mentioned that the northern part of Israel was under siege by the Assyrians These were brutal, brutal, nasty people. And so the people in Israel would be wanting justice because there was so much injustice going on in their lives at this time. I'm, I'm sure that they were longing for it. And the message comes from God through Isaiah and focuses on the one who will bring justice. Since this passage was applied to Jesus, there's a great deal to unpack here. I'm going to try to unpack some of it. There's a lot more to it. But first of all, you notice the way that he's going to minister. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This, this is quoted as Jesus' way of building his church when he was on the earth. He is not going to scream and yell, compete for anyone's attention, But he is going to quietly meet the needs of those who turn to him. This is is his way. There's also a confident statement that he will bring justice. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth. But justice will come with a kindness and a graciousness tied to it. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench he will faithfully bring forth justice. What, what a great picture of the grace and kindness of God. As he deals with our weaknesses, as we're hurting, as he handles response to our sin, he does so in a very gentle and kind way. All, all around Jesus during his life, and now through the present, people's lives are broken. They're about to burn out. A bruised reed is bruised because it's trampled. A faintly burning wick pictures a very weary soul that's about to run out of steam. Run out of oil, I guess, really, is the picture, isn't it? Jesus did not break them. Uh, uh, A bruised reed would would you know he didn't pull it, he didn't snuff out the the wick, but he works to repair and amend. This is what Jesus does. This shows the heart of God for people who are hurting. And this is the the approach that God's people, Christ's followers, should adopt today. This, this is what we're called to do. We're we're called to be His body on earth, the church, his hands and feet, to show kindness and grace to the people around us. If you're captured by a brutal people, you want justice. More than just wanting it, you're longing for it. Your insides are screaming for it. In Isaiah 41, the chapter right before the chapter that I'm digging into the first part of today... It it promises that Cyrus the Persian is going to rise up and bring victory to free Israel. So this actually occurred in history years after this was written. Um, So what's happening in Isaiah 41 is uh, God is promising freedom politically, and more physically for the people. Uh, but 42 begins to describe the spiritual freedom the Messiah would bring. And it, it would be lasting. So, we're now living in the future the, the prophet promised. We're, we're living in, in in the future that he's painting bright. So, the bright future we can experience right now begins to roll out in the next several verses in beautiful language Isaiah shows what God provides for those who give their lives to follow Christ Isaiah 42 5 thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Now this is a this is a reminder. God's speaking here through the prophet. This is a reminder that God created the heavens. He stretched them out. Do you do you look at the heavens often? My wife is a sky watcher. That's what I call her. I wouldn't I wouldn't hardly look up, but she's she's always wow, look at that sunrise or Look at that sunset or, wow, that night sky, super moon. She really loves the moon. She likes super moons. And, and I, I really appreciate it because it, it helps me look up and see what's going on. And there's, a, there's an incredible majesty to the sky, to what God has done, that proves his power. That's why he's saying this here. I have the power To do what I'm promising to do. This is what it reminds us of. And here are the promises we can experience through him. Help and guidance in the moment. Now this is written to uh, the the future Messiah. So he begins to start talking about it. But what we pick up on is is the benefits that we receive as we follow him. Isaiah 42.6 I am the Lord. I have called you, the Messiah, in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. So God is speaking to the Messiah in this passage, whom Christians believe is Jesus. And he states, I will give you as a covenant for the people. Since the first man and woman fell, God has been working his plan of redemption in, as history rolls out. As, as we experience history, throughout history, God has been working his plan of redemption. Because when we fell and when we became marred by sin, when the world is not what it was at first... God then began to restore and redeem the people in the world. At its core, his plan involves two covenants, two agreements between himself and God and the uh, or between himself and the people that he made, that would be us, <laughs> the people that he made. So two two covenants between God and ourselves that if you choose to Enter into those covenants, then you are one of His people. So the first covenant was based on the law. People who wanted to be right with God and get forgiveness from Him for their wrongs when they sinned, when they missed the mark, they would need to sacrifice something. It was usually an animal uh, on uh, the the Day of Atonement. It was a lamb that would have to be sacrificed. This covenant failed. But the book of Romans shows that God never intended the law to be the path through which we were saved. It was always faith. But it's like the law is like an x-ray that shows us where we miss the mark and how to get back into line in terms of what God wants. So, when you get into the Bible, if you're looking for it, you discover all kinds of ways that you've sinned. And and this 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 is designed to lead us to covenant number two. The second covenant is Jesus himself. Because in this passage he says, I will give you as a covenant for this people, for the people. Um, Jesus paid the price for our sins. So as we're trying to fulfill the first covenant, it leads us to someone who can pay for our sins once and for all, and that turns out to be Jesus. All who accept Jesus' death on the cross as payment for their sin and give their lives to follow Christ as Lord are forgiven. No more guilt. Before God. This was God's plan to satisfy the demands of the law. He showed us how he wanted us to live in the first covenant. The law. You find it in the Old Testament. And then. His intent was. To show us like an x-ray into our hearts. Where we've messed up. So that we would come to him and seek forgiveness through Jesus Christ to accept his payment for our sin and follow him as Lord. Romans 3.26 says, it's not on the screen, but it says, God did this so that he could be just and the justifier of our sins. Isn't that amazing? So God did this. He enters the world in the person of Jesus Christ. He takes our sins on himself. He's the only one that could do this. I don't have time to go into an explanation of that. He's the only one who could bear the weight of our sin and offer forgiveness from that point on to those who would turn to him and accept his salvation. Amazing thing. So, the Bible calls this a better covenant. I think it is. I think it's it's. Much improved. It was in the, the mind of God the entire time. But it's a better covenant because it's based on grace, not law. You know, there's a double edge to justice. There's, we have a justice gene in us because God is just. And we, we know when we're treated wrongly that somebody needs to pay. But there's a double edge to justice. Because while we want God to bring justice to others. We're also afraid that he's going to bring justice to us. And that we're going to pay. We know we've been wrong. And I don't know about you. But I battle guilt at times. I'll be cruising nicely through the day. And I'll say or do something wrong. Or a thought will attack me of something that I've done in the past. How, how do you deal with that? What do, you, what do you do with those? Justice tells us and screams inside our heart, covenant, covenant one, the first covenant, makes perfect sense to us. We've got to do something to make up for it. Somebody needs to pay. What do you do? How do you pay? Sometimes we beat ourselves up. You know, you give yourself a good verbal tongue lashing for a few days, and it goes on in your mind over and over and over and over again. It just turns over and over. Or you decide to work hard for, to make up for it. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to be super nice to the people around me, and I, I'm going to make up for it. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus Christ stepping into our world so that we don't have to pay for our sins any longer. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to do the extra. And if you, if you, if you know him and you accept his payment for our sins that he gave on the cross and you decide to follow him as Lord... That motivates you to serve, to give, to to love the people around you. But it's not because you've got this oppressive law over your head that if you don't do it, you're going to really pay. It's because Jesus' love has pierced your heart and His grace motivates you to love the people around. That's what Christmas is all about. God gives his grace to us so that we can begin to share it with others. These verses are addressed to the Messiah and say that he will be a light to the nations. Jesus made it clear that Christ followers carry the torch by living a grace-filled life. So we experience God's grace and we need to keep going back there, reminding ourselves, hey, hey, that sin's paid for. Don't do that. Don't beat yourself up. Don't don't try to make up for it. Do good, yes, but don't do good to try to make up for your sin. You don't need to. There's another motivation there. Jesus made it clear that Christ followers carry the torch by living this great grace-filled life with those around us. And then working to extend the light into realms of darkness where there's darkness. This is what we do. This is what, this is a major focus of our Christmas offering to support those who are taking the light of Jesus into the darkness. One ministry that we're supporting is in through the offering. Uh, we're partnering with Re- rebirth homes and, uh, The Inland Empire is one of the the, uh, major areas of our nation that's impacted by uh, human trafficking victims. And what they do is they help victims of human trafficking and they place them in a home. And that person will receive help for the whole person that combines spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental healing in a 24-month period. So... Uh, They, this is a new ministry. They've just opened up their first home, so we're coming alongside to try to help them. This is this is what God's people do. Just like He did, just like He, he, a bruised reed He will not break, a a smoldering wick He will not quench. He He won't snuff it out. He, Jesus, God Himself cares for the people around. We're also partnering. Uh, to help those who are bringing the light to other nations. Um, if you look on, if you look here on the special Christmas offering um, card, there is uh, Asia connection, Europe, which is student ministries trying to help people come to Christ in Europe, and then missionaries worldwide through the Lottie Moon. Uh, World Christmas offering, and uh, there's some regional efforts that we give. But what you see in Scripture is, from wherever you are, you try to extend the light. That's what it is. So that's why we break it down local, regional and, and global, local, regional and global. Um, this is also why we as a church, we keep extending ourselves to new areas. As a church body. Next year we'll plant a church in North Fontana by sending Alex and Samantha Barrett with a launch team to that area. It's a stretch for us. But we do that because we're to be a light to the nations like Jesus was. God has a heart for those who are disconnected from him. And he wants his people to keep reaching beyond themselves to be a light from where we are to the nations. Jesus also gives sight and freedom. Isaiah 42.7 says, He came to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who sit in darkness. When we follow Christ, we're able to see what we wouldn't see in life without Him. We gain a perspective on spiritual matters because He opens our eyes. Jesus sets us free from bondage. We were prisoners spiritually. He sets us free through his grace. We're also free from the law. That's oppressive. Grace is freedom. The Lord turns then and has Isaiah wrap up the section of Scripture we're looking at this morning with this statement. It's a very interesting statement. I am the Lord... That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now it's interesting this the first four verses of this passage I'm looking at this morning were quoted in Matthew 12. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector who became a Christ follower. The major focus of his gospel book uh, that he wrote, his biography of Jesus Christ, was aimed at uh, showing how Jesus actually was the promised Messiah. So it was written to a Jewish audience. Um, And the way, one of the primary ways, we looked at a passage last week that was applied to Jesus from Isaiah, this week, another one, one of the major ways that Matthew shows his Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah is through fulfilled prophecy. Um, <clears throat> and there there are several dozen prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that were told beforehand uh, through in the Old Testament. And what's amazing is the odds that one person can fulfill just eight of these prophecies is one in 13 trillion. That, that's that is just astronomical. This that number. I'm not a numbers guy either. Um, but this this would be equal to covering the state of Texas two feet deep with silver coins, marking one of them, blindfolding a person and it, and having them go pick one out that's that's the picture of the likelihood that one person would fulfill just eight of the prophecies the several dozen prophecies that Jesus fulfilled what what you see in Isaiah 42:9 is this is God's fulfilled prophecy is God's chosen method of self self authentication auth- Authentication. Did I say that right? Okay, just hey, to try and keep you awake. Fulfilled prophecy is God's chosen method of self authentication. Who who could do that but God? I mean, this this the passage we're looking at today was written seven hundred years before the life of Christ. Most of the prophecies were at least seven hundred years. Only God has that view of history. I mean, would, that would take a lot of work for a human being, wouldn't it? To just, okay, I'm going to write this down. I've got to tell you, son. i got to tell you, son. I got, somebody's going to break the chain. That's just, that's just, this is the way that we can check out. God's plan was to communicate the future to his people hundreds of years before it happened. And it gives us a way to verify the truth about Jesus Christ. That he was God. Fulfilled prophecy is unique. With future events. There aren't many options. Uh, You either get it right or wrong. Um, And it can be verified. It's a beautiful thing that God's done. Um, Very specific details are given. And then Jesus arrives and fulfills these prophecies. It would be impossible for a person to intentionally do this almost as impossible as the chain over several hundred years. One son is going to break the chain, right? The one guy that doesn't do it. That, that ruins it. But there are details about Jesus' miraculous birth, the city he would be born in, where he would grow up, the tribe he would be born into, the life he would live, the manner of life that he would live, and on and on and on. This, this means that our hope is rooted in history. If you're considering giving your life to follow Christ, you can investigate a person of history. And you can check out his claims. This is what God's done. Only God could pull this off. Out of his kindness, he's allowed us to do this. The core message of Christianity is grace is here. It arrived, or the core message of Christmas is grace is here, and really it's at the core of the message of Christianity. It arrived in a very extraordinary way, without much fanfare, but what a bright future for those who accept him. And then giving away this grace... Gives us a great purpose as we set out to follow him. As I wrap up this morning, I want to encourage you to think through a way to uh, respond to the message. Maybe there's a next step you'd like to take. Maybe God's laid one on your heart or someone's come to mind that you can help or serve or some way that you can deal with uh, the guilt Rightly before God um, and handle it, move past it. Uh, Here's some suggested next steps from me uh, that you may want to take as as the band uh, comes up to continue leading us in singing. uh, I'll just lay these out. My next step today is to pray about the extra giving opportunity uh, through the Christmas offering. And I meant to include one that just gave you the option of picking uh, what you'd, what you, how you'd like to respond to the message. And then maybe your next step is to invite a guest to our family Christmas service to share, share the grace of God with others. Uh, or the Christmas Eve service. That's a good opportunity as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your kindness to us. And we pray for power, God, to do what you've laid on our heart to do as we have got into your word this morning. I pray that you would strengthen us to do it and give us wisdom in following you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.